You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Where were you when Shigaraki appeared for the first time? We're going to be discussing that today on our episode of Systematic Ecology. We are the Priests of the Geeks. We'll be covering the Battle Trial and USJ arcs for My Hero Academia. I believe this is the third episode we've done. And I have, of course, Christian Ashley, and I am joined by one of the best co-hosts ever available to the world. That's not TJ, but you know what? He's still pretty dang good. Nick, how you doing, Nick? I'm good. If I can even uh, be mentioned in proximity to TJ, I'm feeling I'm pretty I'm feeling pretty solid. That's always real solid, isn't it? It's like, it really is. Like, like I could just have a tenth of his power. <laughs> He's like Shaggy <laughs> in that way. <laughs> Uh, I would hate to see TJ go ultra instinct on anyone. So true. Using using 1% of his power. All right. So guys, as we established before, we're doing my hero. But before we get into that, uh, Nick, what have you been geeking out on recently? So recently I have been revisiting the Mandalorian season three. Um, I'm writing a Tolkien pop article on uh, Mandalorian and of course the Lord of the Rings. And so I've just been going through and it's just such a good season, man. It's been super fun to revisit it. Perfect. Let's see. I have been, I started because I have never once seen it before. I'm a big horror guy and I've never seen tales from the crypt. So I've started watching, I've seen the movie, the two movies they did, but I have not seen the actual show. So I started, I finished the first season and I think there's six more after that. So really fun. Uh, not for the faint of heart, not for children by any stretch of the imagination, but still a really good time. Is that the one with the Crypt Keeper? Like that introduces Absolutely, stuff? Yes. Yeah, let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So like we said before, we're doing the Battle Trial and USJ arcs for My Hero Academia. So Nick, why don't we collab on this one and give a brief overview of what happens here? Okay. I'm going to give you the Battle Trial one if you That's do, would be so kind. Yeah, sure thing. So... After what happened last time, our group, they get our their new hero costumes. We see uh, all the, the flamboyant nature of some of them, more of them, the more simplistic styles some people have. When you have Deku, and it's obvious, like, <laughs> I'm trying to emulate All Might, but he looks like a bunny. Yeah, and he's got the smile, and, like, everyone's, like, they, like, do the classic Japanese, like, embarrassed falling over thing where they're, like, <laughs> cringe. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And some of them, like, I really like most of their costumes. I, I mean, I'm sure there's what, like, how many members of the class 1A? I, I'm going to forget someone that I don't really care for as much. Yeah. But most of them are like, yeah, I like these a lot. Same. Then we get All Might coming in as their instructor for this saying, okay, this is part of your training. We're doing an exercise where two of you are going to be acting like villains and then two of you are going to be our heroes in this situation. They've got a nuclear weapon, yeah, uh, hidden in this abandoned facility here. And you're going to have to come in there. And the hero's goal is to stop them from using it. And the villain's goal is to beat the heroes. So kind of teaching them both sides of the fence, which is really useful, I would think. Yeah. Getting into someone else's headspace, especially at such a young age, too, because you're not really encouraged a lot by people to like understand someone else sometimes as much as we should. Yeah, I really like who uh, who's the one who embodies the villain. Is it um, uh, Tanya? Ida. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ida. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Mango's method actor. He really does. Oh, yeah. So we start, of course, because how could it not happen any other way with Izuku and Bakugo facing off with Bakugo being teamed up with Ida and Ochako being teamed up with uh, Izuku? 
And it's at this point in time, like the confrontation's been built up. Bakugo's upset because uh, Izuku Deku just gained powers out of nowhere, his quirk from nowhere. And he's very upset because he's always been number one. And this guy used to look up to him as now have power that may exceed his own. And of course, what does he do? He denies strategy and he goes straight for him. Man, he does. And uh, it ends up costing him too. Uh I I think that Izuku uh, like pins him down by, doesn't he use one of his own, like uses Bakugo's own methods or something like that and doesn't even use his quirk at first? Yeah. Uh, Which just to rub the salt in a little further there in that scenario, like he, because he can't rely on one for all just yet without like damaging himself. So he has to be quick on his feet. How can I stop this scenario without breaking my fingers and arms? And he uses Bakugo's techniques against him, which of course infuriates him even more. Yeah. And almost causes the the fake bomb to go off to an extent. Because of course you have the explosion quirk, you know, villain in this scenario with a bomb. It's a very bad situation. Right. But in the midst of this, they're able to use he, uh, Izuku and uh, Uraraka are able to like strategize together. They know Bakugo is going to like flip off the handle and leave Ida behind. So they use that to their advantage and they're able to get to the bomb. But once again, a lot of things start to break. Right. <laughs> so we do get some, which I also thought was really useful from a character pers- perspective, uh, like a rundown of, OK, what did they do right? What did they do wrong? Yeah. So they could have just rushed it, but they have other characters speaking out. Of course, Momo being the one to speak up first. And she lists off a lot of stuff we were talking about earlier. Bakugo was too reckless. Like, yeah, sure, Izuku and uh, Uraraka won, but like the building was destroyed and their heroes did not supposed to happen. Right. And she uh, praises Ida as like the only person who did things correctly. <laughs> Which is just classic Ida. Oh, yes. And it's at this point, uh, Deku, at one point, he has to use one for all. So he ends up in the, <laughs> in the uh, nurse's office again. Uh, oh, wait, no. Is this when we meet recovery girl for the first time? I can't remember. Um, I'm trying to think. Cause when did we meet her when they do the trials when he like, cause he uses like his full, he uses his leg and his arm for the trials. Yeah. And I don't remember if recovery girl is there or if, like you said, it's in this episode. Yes. No, she definitely is. Uh, in the entrance exam, that's when we first meet her is when she's treating him after the fact. Okay. So she knows about All Might's stuff because obviously she'd be like the one person to be able to reverse it, but didn't work. Uh, so, of course, we see a very upset Bakugo after this. And Izuku kind of has that moment of like owning up to what he did, but like he can't quite get the words out just yet. Yeah. And we last see a mysterious person who we'll talk about in a minute reading a newspaper about All Might becoming a teacher. And that is where the battle trial arc goes from there. There's a couple other things, but they're smaller. Yeah. Take it away. So, you know, we are doing the battle trial. Okay. So at this point they go to the rescue dome and throughout the, um, you know, throughout the series, we get, uh, we get more glimpse into the league of villains. We right. We get to see some of the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of mysterious. We, um, you know, we see that we know that there's a plan that's happening behind closed doors. We don't know exactly what's happening as far as who's connected to as far as their plans. But we know that it goes bigger than just the League of Villains. And uh, towards the end, we I don't remember. Do we do we learn about do they talk about Nomu in their plans or do we not learn about Nomu until like 
until they actually all the villains actually get teleported into the usj a good question i can't remember if they like mention it offhand but like we obviously don't have the context for it yeah and then the nobu appears right yeah i'd have to rewatch it it's been quite some time me too i think i want to say this is what i'll go and listeners if you're here correct us uh but i think yeah i think i from what i i want to go with that they definitely do bring up no moves and it's one of those things where you're like what are no moves what is this or they at least hint at some type of uh secret weapon or something and so all the students end up going to the usj and um they have to rescue a bunch of people from different stuff and then of course villains come and uh, are teleported and everyone's like how did people know where these students were because ua is usually super secret um and they're then toward so there might be a mole amongst the group now that ends up being a thing and so there are like what like hundreds i don't know hundreds might be too many maybe like 150 200 villains something like a that uh, there's a lot of villains to like a very small group of heroes in training and then even fewer amounts of professional heroes and everyone ends up getting uh ends up getting split up and um each different hero or student in training is tested with teamwork and rescuing people and also learning their abilities and uh, a nomu shows up and we get to see all might just go freaking ham and i think mm-hmm. that i remember that moment uh was the moment where i was like i'm i already like the show but i was like i'm sold this is sick. Like <laughs> all my going full blast or what seems to be full blast. We learn later that it's not, but yeah. So then we learn later after the aftermath, the villains are defeated and uh, everyone's trying to figure out like, how are these villains? How do they know this? And what is going to happen next with the safety of the students? Oh, yes. And then the, the league of villains who are the league of villains. Yeah. I think this is very good setup for them to, and you've got to have with the hero story, you've got to have your villains. Right. And like this attacker, another like, how do they know they were there? Uh, this on mass, like group collective of, are these people all working together? Or do they just bring a bunch of scrubs to be like, you know, uh, waves upon waves to overwhelm them. And there's actually a few people who actually know why they're here. Yeah. And that mystery building up is like, okay, what's going on here? I, I mean, especially when the Nomu is brought in, it's like, oh, this is brought specifically for All Might. Right. This someone, someone here has a grudge. Yeah. And so, yeah. And because like you said, the waves of villains at first, like these UA students can handle a bunch of them at the same time. Um, so most of the villains are, like you said, just pure scrubs that are just used to waves to distract people or at least pave the way for the coming of the Nomu to you know kill all might and of course we get uh man eraser head really shows up here and eraser head ends up being so. so so cool um and i think even shigaraki says that where he thinks that he's uh a nomu has uh the nomu has smashed uh mr aizawa and he's like oh it's like uh <laughs> he eraser head's way cooler than that oh yes it, it definitely like we've we've gotten to know him a little bit over time uh, he's this very grumpy guy right. who is very serious about what he does, but like to actually see him in action against someone he can't possibly beat. Right. And like he does it anyway because the students are in danger. 
and he holds his own until mm-hmm. the Nomu shows up against someone who can literally disintegrate you with a touch. Right. And yeah, that's that earns respect right there. And that's exactly what you mentioned. Shigaraki's like, man, you're pretty dang cool. It's like, well, of course he is. Like, how many other people, you know, are willing to do that? And we, we obviously will get, but that's just, uh, that's just a racer head throughout the entire series who just continues to prove himself to be even cooler and more mm-hmm. of a hero with each arc. Uh, yeah, a race. I think that's one of the moments that stands out. I love uh, a racer head. And it's it, this arc is part of the start of that for sure. As far as like a true love rather than just he's he's sarcastic and lazy and and kind of fun uh, in that way. Yeah. But yeah, this is as a hero. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we've mentioned these two arcs. Is there one you prefer over the other? Both of them are good. Like you said, we get with the battle trials, we get to see like how UA functions. Um, we get to see how All Might is, is tutoring um, the students and specifically interacts with uh, Midoriya and um, we get to see character development. But my, my favorite is the USJ, specifically for the ending moments where we get to see um, the UA actually be thrust into the situation where it's, it's no longer training. This is this is real. Um, and they don't they 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 don't hold back. And then, of course, we get to see uh eraser head and all might uh in their in their fullness oh, for the first choice. time yeah yeah both of these are really fun arcs i, I like the character studies done in both of them yeah. i think uh battle trial does a little more but uh, what we get to see in usj is the other students like in the midst of the moment the heat of battle what can they do who are they actually yeah and uh we get to see you know was it momo and kaminari and jiro like working together there we get to see todoroki solo everyone around him right with, with justice ice powers uh let me see kirishima and bakugo like start to become friends at least yeah. on one side at the very beginning and then later on they become friends yes uh and then of course we we knew about mineta and suyu but then we actually see them in action working with deku it's like Yes, this is perfect there, but forget the students. We also get to see All Might in action. Yes. And him coming up against like uh, the question I'm about to ask about standout moments and characters. It's going to be him realizing the Nomu has a energy absorption quirk. Yeah. Not an energy nullification quirk. There's a big difference between the two. Right. And like, see, he's not just a dumb brute who just smashes things like there's a mind in there. He has tactics he uses. Not that we thought he was dumb by any stretch of the imagination, but actually see that happen to be shown. That was a lot better. So I've already said it. Like, are there any standout moments or characters you want to discuss further? You know, I think it, but I think just to piggyback and just focus on that, uh, all might like just getting even more insight to like, there's a reason why he's number one, you know, Mm -hmm. and has remained number one for as long as he has, you know, Basically, he became basically the sole protector of Japan, you know, essentially, yeah. which is just mind blowing. And in light of revelations that happen later on, like, could you imagine uh, without spoiling if he had gained what Deku gets along the way and he was already number one? He'd be like unstoppable. He'd probably be number one hero in the entire world, honestly. Oh, yes. And, but that also comes at a price, too. Yeah, because, true. Uh, it's stuff that gets established later on that we get bits and pieces of it at the very start of people depending on him as a symbol of peace rather than doing anything themselves because oh well all might will just take care of it and we'll get to that question in a little bit but yeah anything else you want to say about that scene 
No, what about you? Okay, so besides that, and besides the razor head of, up against Shigaraki, like holding his own for a bit, um, th- there's a, a brief moment again in the prior arc where we see Todoroki and the heroes versus villains soloing everything again. And it starts to build up his character of a very, not well, prideful to an extent, but like because you know he's actually able to do what he says. Yeah. And then we get it again in this one of him just taking care of people just swiftly without any resistance on their part. Like he's a one man army. It's the building up to what happens in the sports festival relies on scenes like this where, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine Deku taking him on one on one at this point in time. He's going to lose. He's going to die. Right. Especially he's still only using half of his quirk. Yeah. So that's super important. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Let's see a bit of a smaller moment. Like right before this, we had that, the what was it the school president no excuse me class president like everyone was voting and they vote for popularity first and i think it's like momo and deku mm-hmm. and Ida is upset but then he takes charge in an emergency situation uh and then you know classical Ida goofy way that actually helps people and then that earns everyone's respect for him in the class and they vote him yes. to be president instead i enjoy that it's a smaller character moment but well worth it well, and like you said, it, it 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 sets up all the pieces for everybody in the important moments, and even just like Ida, and how respectable he really becomes, and the amount of respect that he commands from the rest of his class. Like you said, stems from his goofiness, but then it just he it just he develops into something that's just so awesome. Oh, very much so. All right, so let's get into more quality content and by quality content i mean sexual harassment um <laughs> yeah I, I don't want to shirk over this it's something that bothers me is what we mentioned in the overview episode like no, i don't think any of us really like Mineta that much yeah yeah okay so twice here in both of these arcs uh, and i think there's maybe even three times we see him sexually harassing one of his fellow students once in the battle trial arc where he spends his time just leering at momo's body which to be fair if i was a teenager I understand, but there's a limit. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the second time when he gropes, full on gropes Suyu during the attack on the USJ. Now, obviously, this is not intended, and it's very poorly in my opinion. This is this is intended to be comedy. Yeah. And if this were real world, something would be done about something like this, hopefully, if you have a good school. Right. But what does it say about like what the author thinks about his intended audience, which for Shonen, for those who are unaware, it's typically young boys to teens. I mean, girls every now and then are starting to gain more of a fandom, but primarily they're focusing on boys and young, young guys. Right. Like what does it say about what he thinks of them, that something like this can happen in a story and not be handled appropriately, or am I making something out of nothing? No, I think there is something there. I mean, even going back with Shonen Jump in particular, and then of course back, I'm going through Dragon Ball again, and I'm, um, you know, uh, (laughs) classic Master Roshi. uh, But the beginning when Krillin and Goku are trying to earn Master Roshi's tutelage, and uh, of course it's just centered around perversion. Uh, pornography uh, and all kinds of stuff. And of course, Master Roshi, you see him at cons. And when people do Master Roshi, genuinely hilarious. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the way in which Master Roshi postures himself towards the women in uh, (laughs) the series, uh, not great. Uh, And I I wouldn't put Mineta as far as Master Roshi. 
Um, I think there has been some development in the past 30, 40 years, uh, you know, uh, yes. but I, I think there is still an assumption, which I think happens here in our own culture too, that there's mm-hmm. this kind of boys will be boys type of a thing. Um, and I think it's, it, I think it's taken a little too far, taken a little too far. Yeah. And once again, like you know, if I was a teenage boy in that class, God dang, would I be in trouble? Right. You know what? Because they have pretty beautiful women in there, beautiful young girls. I mean, like, I'm an adult. That's a little creepy now. I don't want to get into that. But, like, if I was in that moment right there as a teenager and, you know, the costumes are what they are, they're very form-fitting, especially, like, I mean, just Momo alone, where do you think my eyes are going to wander? Because I'm a teenage boy. Like, that part I get completely. I mean, fan service is one of those things in anime, etchy, that kind of irks me when it's done too much. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's done a little too much here. But like, I'm not against the idea of it because once again, I know who the intended audience is. It's not me, the 30, you know, two year old man. It's the guy who's half my age who is learning about those things for the first time and is very interested. So, of course, that's going to titillate them, not to use that as a pun. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, well, well done. Uh, you know, uh, I think also those type of things uh, can be also comments on things that are negative so obviously there it Mineta is utilized as comedy as well but i think there is also some commentary on uh perverted people like Mineta because everybody mm-hmm. he's not liked everybody in the class pretty much hates him except yes. when he like develops as a hero or whatever um and he I think does that, get better he does he does um and i think that says something too I think the I think the thing that I think about is like when we grow we both you know I grew up in youth group and when you have like the the youth pastor do the sex series and he's like stop thinking about sex stop thinking about sex stop thinking about sex and you're like I wasn't and now I can think about his sex you put like, it in my head right I feel like that's kind of what's happening a little bit yeah I mean yeah I understand that completely thank God I had some pretty good teachers growing up that yeah. weren't very um they weren't direct like that. They were like, Hey, you know, this is a natural thing. Your mind's going to wander, but you're better than that. You need to move on. Like, okay, that's a better way to teach that. But yeah, your comment earlier about boys will be boys. Like, well, there's a way that should be taken, which is, you know, a couple of guys said, Hey, what if we tried to stack on top of each other and see if we could get that branch off that tree? Sure. But it's stupid. You know, it's stupid to do that. Boys will be boys. And then there's the, Oh, well, let's flip someone's skirt or let's, you know, grope someone. It's like, Oh, well, boys, will be boys. No, no, it it became, they merged the two thinking, Oh, well, it's natural for them to think that, which yeah, it's natural. It doesn't mean it's good for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we've all have the internal thoughts. Like you said, whether it's negative thoughts towards another person, or we've all said that like, Oh, if that person came across, I'd punch him in the face. We obviously yeah. wouldn't do that, um, and we don't we don't put punching somebody we don't like into the category of what boys should be like. And that, like, like you said, yes. that's your that's your point. Sexual assault uh, is not something that should be uh, equated with what the ideal version of a man or a woman should look like. And you get to feel too, Japanese uh, Japan especially after World War II, I mean, well, even before that was fairly conservative. But then you get more American values instilled as, you know, we're rebuilding the country with them after a very, uh, let's say, testy uh, 
two decisions we made at the end of the war there. So yeah. that's a that's something for a different podcast to discuss. But uh, some of the values we have here that come from Christian ideas were placed there, and they became even compared to us like ultra conservative. And part of what happens in you know reading materials like this for manga and anime is you would have people testing the waters and like, can I dip my toe here? And I mm, show. Mm you know, uh, a woman in this situation or a guy in this situation, are the censors going to say anything? Yeah. And then it just kept going and going to where it just became part of the genre. Right. And to the point, in my opinion, where it's done poorly most of the time. Yeah. And I, cause I've heard conflicting stories. I don't know if this is true. So, uh, disregard this. If it isn't, I've heard people say that Horikoshi, the mangaka, the writer of my hero academia, for those that don't know, likes Mineta a lot. And I've heard people say that he doesn't. Uh, depending on which one depends on how I'm going to view Mineta. Yeah. And if he's like, oh, that, that pervy little boy, I wish I was doing what he was, that we have some issues. Right. If it's, oh, this idiot, it's part of the genre, I'll stick it in. And some people will laugh like, okay, it's not the best decision you could have made, but I'll, I'll deal with it. Yeah. I think we can say that Mineta, least likable character, uh, making some progress, hope to see Mineta be a more mature, kind-hearted, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. It's, it's going to be a long journey, people. But I promise that there there is light at the end of the tunnel. Anything else you want to add to that, Nick? Uh, I don't think so. Just that, uh, you know, stay Master Roshis and uh, stay away from Minetas and Master Roshis. Yeah. Uh, be with a teacher like Master Roshi who inspires you to do really good things mm. uh don't be like the moral character of master roshi well done well done yeah i think we'll drop the mic there so moving on oh, we discussed it before one of the things that happens in the usj arc is a bunch of adults supervillains, come in start attacking a bunch of kids so as we learn more about the the, the league of you know supervillains and all this it's like part of their stuff is that they want to change society yeah. They want people who are weirder and outcasts to be seen as, you know, as normal as everyone else, which noble goal. But what does it say about someone's ideology, like to change things in society, if they're willing to target children, keeping in mind that one day the same children will grow up to be the very heroes they were going to end up fighting anyways? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that there's just so much that My Hero Academia has to offer as far as just having big questions like that, because is where we've got because UA and hero culture is kind of like the main way that society is maintained or changed through, you know, my throughout my hero academia. But I feel like it kind of represents like if you want to change society or the future, you have to do so through the influence of children. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that the League of Villains is like this there's this violent targeting within a superhero show that I think that in particular in society that like, okay, we all want to, there's a difference between having ideas and wanting to teach our children or getting the opportunity to positively influence children, at least, at least what we believe is positive influence. Um, and actually there's a difference between that and then embodying an agenda to then target children to try to shape them into something treating them as a means to an end. Um, and I think that there's something similar going on in My Hero Academia. I don't know if you think I'm totally off base or... Nah, nah I see your point. It's this, there's going to be a new generation that comes out after everything. They're in training for a society that's already in existence. 
that favors some over others. Now, those aren't why the kid, their kids aren't there to preserve that facet of that society. But at the end of the day, they're still working with it. Yeah. So you see someone have a point of, oh, well, they're targets too because they're going to get up in the same way. Like, did you ever watch uh, DBZA, uh, Dragon Ball Abridged? It, I did. It's been such a long time. But there's a there's a Frieza line there. I had to look up. Uh, it, it's him and Goku talking, and he's uh, Frieza. Goku says, uh, "Anyone who murders children would be uh, monsters." What Goku says to the effect of, and Frieza says, "Oh, please! Everyone's always on about the children. I already tried leaving them alive, but all they do is grow up under my rule or dedicate their pathetic lives to revenge. Usually, both. Really, killing them is <laughs> killing them is a kindness." I can retract this kindness if you wish, but then who's the villain? <laughs> then we get the good uh, back and forth there if it's you. But yeah, the point being, you get the point Frieza is making there. Yeah. But it's so monstrous. Like, that's what Shigaraki and the League of Villains end up doing in this regard. It's like you can't combat someone who's about to become a combatant. Yeah. Because they're not a combatant yet. Right. So it's the same thing like not targeting a medic to an extent, like a medic should never be the one picking up a gun. Right. Uh, except unless it's for self-defense, I believe is what part of the Geneva convention is uh, staged around. I think that's the only way that's a medic can pick up a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd have to relook that up, but it's the same sense for these kids. Like, sure. They're a part of the thing you're trying to change, but that's not their fault. Right. Like there are better ways of going about this. Like as we get more into the series, learning about heteromorphs and, other people as well who just look weird or someone like uh, Toga who can't fit into society because she has this instilled need in her mind. She can't shake that. She has to go after blood and you get, Oh, I perfectly see where you're coming from. Like you deserve to live too, but how do we fit you into society? We already have. Well, if you don't agree with us, you're gone is what the, the current MHA society says. Right. That's really cool about this show, too, is that like that's kind of all of the villain or the villain origin stories, right? Is that they grow up and they are rejected by society from people who are just careless, right? Kind of similar to what a lot of, you know, what we all, what people or I think the relatable experience to the everyday person is that we've all felt like outcasts to a certain extent, larger degrees mm-hmm. than others, you know? And those are usually those negative moments that end sometimes, uh, you know, become our villain origin story. Um, mm. Like you said, how do you uh, change that? Change that because I think there is the villains have a point right throughout the series. Yes. You empathize with the villains to a large degree um, in many cases, but then when, like you said, they attack uh, high school children, then you're like, this is kind of a kind of whack. Yeah. It's not an easy question to answer other than the fact that obviously children should never be the target of your uh, desire to change society. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's something we'll explore later on because there'll be plenty of opportunities as we continue our series on My Hero Academia. You have anything else you want to add to that, Nick? No, I don't think so. That was, that's a, we, We'd be here forever talking about that one thing. That's a fun one. <laughs> uh, especially, we can't really keep going without spoiling more. I think I've already said too much to begin with. So right. let's just go. To the next question. So we see part of the reason, like All Might gets there later, which, you know, as someone who's a big fan of the big dang heroes trope, I love that moment in a comic or a movie or what have you when it all seems lost and then boom, out of the sky or crashing through 
the windows, the hero shows up, all yes. might shows up to save the day. Like nothing gets me more hype in that moment than like everything was lost. No, it's not. So like part of the reason he got there late is because he's continuing to hero and look out for people, despite the fact that we know at this point in time, he can't stay in his muscle form for a long time. Is it after this arc that it's only like five minutes at a time or is that later yeah. on? No, it's after this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's undefined at this point, I'm pretty sure, but enough to know, oh, you shouldn't be doing this all the time. So because of this, he's not nearly as able as he normally would be to fight Shigaraki and the Nomu and protect the kids at the same time. Like, do you think his desire to help other people knowing what it's going to cost him is something, is this a negative part of this personality or something to be commended about him? I, it's complex. Cause I think there's, so, there's something about the, I think, and I, I think the show is pointing to this throughout the series. There's like an innocence and like naivete behind it. Um, mm. And I think it's for all Might's abilities and intentions as well as societies, because once all Might, uh, you know, spoiler alert for folks, but he eventually is not, cannot transform anymore. Like society starts collapsing. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that the show's doing is that these are limited beings and the whole, like there's no such thing as like human or mortal omnipotence, right? That mm-hmm. does not exist. The only way for things to move forward in society is through friendship and cooperation. And I think that that's part of the stuff that it's critiquing with all might. And those, that's his flaw. His biggest strength is his biggest flaw, right? Because once he gives into his hero and he's like, I have to, this responsibility to carry the whole weight of the country on my shoulders. That's when, uh, people start, people get hurt. Um, you know, he eventually comes to save the day, but like you said, yes. it was unnecessary. Uh, you could argue. Well, even more, if I remember correctly, one of the villains he fought in that time was a, uh, someone who was being fought by, I think Mount lady and Kamui woods at the same time. Yes. And, like they could have handled it themselves, but he was quicker to do it. But if he hadn't have intervened, it it would have ended the same way. It just would have taken a little longer. Right. And there's that whole point of everyone's relying on him. Well, you're actively doing that if you don't let other people work on their own. If, you know, that's part of what he has to learn as a teacher too along the series as like he doesn't know how, number one, uh, because he's just like he gets things like how does he teach Deku to use all, one for all? Like, Well, you just should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not his fault because he just inherently got it. But it's, it's a flaw of his character. That whole, like, I'm someone with the power to do it, therefore I should. And Horikoshi's the big Spider-Man guy. If you haven't figured out that in the series, like, it's obvious all over the place. He loves Spider-Man. Uh, certain developments as well kind of look like some webs or symbiote tendrils. We'll get yeah, to that Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but part of Spider-Man's big mythos as his number one fan here is, you know, with great power, there must come great responsibility. And that's been worded like 50 different ways. But you all get the premise of All Might has this great power. And that great responsibility to help other people is something that drives him. But he takes it too far. But at the same time, if he can help and he doesn't, is he using his power responsibly? Hmm. So you got to wrestle that with everything in there. And I get why. I just think he's being short-sighted. Yeah. 
Yeah, like you said, it's not something that you're like bad all might for trying to help everybody. But it is one of those things where you're like you the struggle between, like you said, especially like the particularly with Spider-Man, but I think spills out into most superhero um, series is that how much of a hero can you be um, with 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 the limitations that you have? Yeah, I think. One of my favorite storylines in Spider-Man, not to get way too off track, is Bring when he it. gains the power of Captain Universe, which in the Marvel mythos is like one of the greatest power sets you could ever have. And Spider-Man starts doing things like he punches the Hulk in the orbit and he starts taking down like Magneto and a bunch of villains. He has no business beating because he has the powers of the Unipower. And there's a what if issue where he keeps those powers because in the end of the storyline, he loses them after like defeating the Tri-Sentinel. And... But the what if issue focuses on him losing parts of his humanity along the way because mm. his desires to help people. But we get this point where he and Thor are in Africa and it's like, OK, Thor, you make water for this uh, you know, arid region here. And that way people will have land and crops and all this stuff. And Thor's like, no, that's not our job. Yeah. And does that myth that distinction of, well, how far can you go with that great power and responsibility? So good, because like you said, even with All Might in the future, we get to see some of that uh, reclamation or realization of human aspects. Man, yeah, that's uh, so good, dude. So good. Oh, yeah. Right, anything else you want to add to this part? No, man. I think the Spider-Man point with the Unipower was a great, great bow. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember what if what what if issue that was. It was the second volume. It's what if Spider-Man never lost the powers of Captain Universe or something like that. All right. So in regards to My Hero Academia, the actual point of discussion here, is there anything you want to add about these two arcs? You know, I think just that we get to see um, the trajectory of each of the heroes in 1A. And obviously that's what the show is centered around. But I I almost think that, I don't know the right, the right word for it, but... It, this is kind of the linchpin. I feel like these two arcs into it's, or if you want to say the transition to arcs into from complete novices to heroes, you know, mm. and uh, you really get the meat of it. And I think you talked about like character um, explorations, like some people call those episodes slow or something sometimes, or that's filler. Um, uh-huh. And I'm a big DBZ guy, you know, and I've gone through I've and there's seen lots. Filler. Yeah, you've seen filler. There's some real filler in there. But even but like there are some really slow arcs that do a lot of character um yes. exploration. And that's the moments that come in, the big moments, like you said, when uh a hero comes and saves the day, especially when you spent that much time with them and seeing where they were before, like the pay, it just makes the payoff so much better. And you can't have the payoff without uh arcs like the ones that we've talked about. Oh yeah. Well imagine Later on, you know, we get Bakugo winding down a bit without having arcs like this where we see him at his worst. Yeah. Like, there's no payoff at the end of the day. It's like, well, you just decided to be good. Right. Or as good as you're going to get. Right. We we all know the quick transformations that make it make things bad. Like, right, uh, the last season of the Game of Thrones TV series with, <laughs> you know, that's an easy target. But to Daenerys oh, Targaryen so. quickly turning evil and psycho and you're just like, what? But then you also, you, we've got it here, but then really good ones like Zuko and Avatar, right? Mm. His his victory and power Slow increase. burn. Oh, well worth it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I, I just think people just have patience these, patience these days. And yeah. 
that's something we all need to learn to be better at. Yeah. Be like Christian and I, okay? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right. So there's your lesson for today. Be like Nick and I. Yes. Uh, In light of that, though, how would you rate and review these two arcs? You can do them separately or together. Your choice. I think I'll do separate. I think that uh, the battle trial gets a solid seven. Okay. There's, and I think it's just, um, it's just a little slow for me, but in in a good ways. And I just talked about how I like those episodes that develop, but I like episodes with payoff more. Uh, okay. So with all the moments with the racer head and all my, and all of the heroes actually putting like their potential into real life action, uh, I'm going to give it like a nine for okay. the USJ arc. Yeah, I agree with that. The slow but necessary yes. would be a uh, battle trial arc. And I'll give it probably like an eight uh, for mostly the same reasons of the character exploration and getting some time to understand some of the quirks we have here, having Izuku and Ochako like teaming up together for the first time, really outside of the uh, exam at the beginning. And that was only really briefly. And then him like taking his name for the first time as Deku. Yeah, uh, we'll get oh, to that. I forgot about uh, that. If you would like in uh, for anyone who wants to go to Captivate or Apple Podcasts and send us a little extra cash, you can hear that question we're going to ask as soon as we're done recording this. But as far as the USJ is concerned after that shameless plug, uh, I'll give it like a maybe a 9, 9, 5, probably a 9, 5. If I'm being honest, like I love moments like that. Like the rising action is there. Yeah, everything seems hopeless. No, it's not. Your hero shows up, All Might shows up. And even then we have this moment of weakness in him where he's protected by the other teachers from having a secret found out. Yeah. And it's just enough to get things done. Yeah. I'm going to boost my to a 9.5 too. It's, it's, okay. that, it's that good. It's that good. Good to hear. All right. So guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, I can't believe we're going to keep doing this. I, I gave this idea to Joshua like forever ago as like poking and see. You don't really do this. You just like cover one series and like there's so much that happens in one series. You, can just, you can't just have one episode on it. Yeah. And yet he said yes to me. And now this is what's happening, and I can't be more happy. Christian, so we get to keep doing this. Christian is a podcast god among men. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a recommendation you want to leave to the audience before we start with the everything else in a wrap up? You know, I I think I'm just going to recommend just because I just uh, I have. I've kind of been reading and watching and playing some of the same stuff over the past month that I have and as far as recommendations. But uh, if you haven't read any of uh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, <laughs> you, you should. Go Highly underrated. You never yeah, talked exactly. about. Never talked about. Because never seen it before now. Never. Yeah. But you, never should, read you, you need to go read it immediately. What's the Silmarillion? He doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> Excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to stick with the superhero theme and I'm going to pick uh, the first season of Invincible, which oh, was so good. amazing and well worth it. I still need to read the comics, but the second season is coming out fairly soon. So that's why I'm really uh, putting that down as my recommendation. If you haven't gotten into that yet, this was eight episodes. Well worth all your times. Superhero action, a deconstruction of the franchise while also being a reconstruction at the same time. Yeah. Not being needlessly depressing is something like the boys in my opinion yeah but that's that i'll keep that away i won't be on the boys episode anytime soon i'll put it that way <laughs> so guys thanks for listening i had a fun time doing this we're going to keep doing it bringing some more my hero your way at least once a month from what i understand if you have a chance leave us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice 
head over to our YouTube page and subscribe. We've got some really fun videos out there. We've got our drinks with Tejas. We've got our What's New episodes. We've got the Friday Night Frights I just did on the Loch Ness Monster, and the Wednesday Night Weeaboo about the anime I've been watching for this current season. I'm about to do that on Wednesday. It's a ton of fun. But please remember before all this, we're all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.